Good morning. It feels like morning. Uh, okay, I, I should start there. So my alarm went off at 4 a.m. Eastern time. Do the math on that. Yeah, it's been a long... My husband came. He is so wonderfully trained, 22 years into our marriage. He brought me my Diet Coke. Um, we got to find that for tomorrow. I got to find one of those for tomorrow. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so it's been a long day, but I am so glad to be here. Um, camps, first of all, Camps have a special place in my heart. Uh, God does things at camps. And so my prayer for you this weekend is that God's going to do something really powerful in your life. And to start that off, um, there's a phrase that I've started to use when I go on retreats to remind myself what God wants to do. A change of pace plus a change of place gives a change of perspective. Okay, say it with me. We're going to memorize this. We're going to say it a lot of times. All right. A change of pace plus a change of place gives you a change of perspective. Okay, I'm praying that God's going to do something really significant in your life this weekend because you're doing those things. You have dumped a lot of responsibilities and a lot of things that you're normally doing over the weekend. And you may even be stressed out about them. But you put them aside. And God wants to do something special. Don't waste it. I'm so grateful for the song we sang right before we got up here. Wow. Have your way. Right? Pray that God's going to do that in your life. Don't waste these moments, these 40 hours that you've got in a place set apart where your pace is totally different. God wants to give you a change of perspective. Now, I suspect some of you came here with people you know a lot of people. Some of you don't know many people here, but all of you chose. I'm pretty sure no one you know, put handcuffs on you and, and made you come. So you have a reason that you came, and I want you to take a minute and share with the person next to you why you came. Now, wait, women talk a lot. <laughs> one, one sentence, so think about it for a minute. Ready? Think, think, think first. Think, you gotta be concise here. Ready? Okay, now share. Cut. Okay, stop. Okay, how'd you do? Just nod. Did you get it done? Okay, take that idea, whatever that idea is, and I want you to file it away. We're going to come back to it. Okay, file that away. Why'd you come? What are you hoping God's going to do in your life this weekend? As I prayed about uh, what to talk to you about, uh, I, I kept coming back to this idea of home. Home means a lot to me. Home means a lot to me. These last couple of years, it's meant even more because I have left what I thought was my home. Uh, I now live in a place called Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. How many of you know where that is? Excellent. <laughs> So usually I have to tell people where it is. It, it is, it is um, an hour north of Philadelphia, and it is an hour and a half uh, west of New York City. It's a very, very cool spot, but I never thought I'd live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and this is the main reason why. 
Okay, I am from Atlanta, Georgia, if you didn't recognize the accent, okay? I don't do snow. And God, in his infinite wisdom, made me change my sweat for a shovel. And I, I still don't understand. But now Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is our home. Uh, yay. All right. Are you from Bethlehem? Okay, Syracuse. Okay, so you like snow. Okay, okay. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk. I mean, people kept giving us snow shovels as a joke when we left Atlanta. It kind of got old. But now, now I have a, a, one of those push things, you know. Uh, I don't do it. My husband does. So that, that's really good news. All right. Anyway, so I, we moved there uh, four years ago now. And my daughter was a senior in high school. She did her senior year of high school in a brand new place. Crazy. She is a stud. I wish she was here with us. She, she's forced to be reckoned with. And God has plans for her. Man, and that's, we'll talk more about that. But if you have children, if you have grandchildren, pray over them and pray for them and pray God's blessing over them. Do it every day. As moms and grandmoms, there's nobody else who knows their kids and their grandkids better than you. Okay? Don't miss that opportunity to pray blessing over them. Anna came. She came her senior year. Uh, I left a church, uh, Peachtree Presbyterian Church. We'd been there for 14 years. Uh, that's where I grew up. Um, I was born at a hospital there. I was living uh, two blocks from the house I grew up in. We were pretty settled in. And God took us away from our home and took us to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Home is a little different for me now. So uh, home really is, some say, where your heart is and where your people are. And here are my people. Uh, th this is Team Crumpler, we call ourselves. Uh, my husband there and my daughter, Anna, I've already mentioned, and my son, John. Uh, they are, John is a senior at Wake Forest University, and Anna is a junior at Wake Forest University. He is applying to medical school right now, and she is going to be a pastor. So she's going into the family business, as we say. So, um, but this is Team Crumpler. Wherever they are, I, I really do feel like there's a sense of home. Where's home to you? Take a minute. We're going to think about it again. And I want you to share with the person next to you. The other side this time. Wow. You know, how many of you do Pinterest? When I saw this, I thought, you know, I'm not cool enough to have done this. And so I messed it up. That's just perfect. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. Good enough. All right. Uh, you're beginning to learn my personality already. Okay. That's good. All right. Um, home. Think about it. Turn to the person who's not the person you just turned to a minute ago. Tell them. Where is your home? Ready? Go. All right, five and a four and a three and a two and a one and stop. Okay, I love y'all getting to know each other better, right? Home sweet home is maybe not even just a place for you and not even where your family is. I really believe that home is bigger than those. Home is something really deep within us, something we, we really long for. 
few years ago, Rich Stearns came to our church, and then he was the president of World Vision, and uh, he had just returned from being with a community of refugees from Syria, and one of the most powerful images that he took away while he was there was seeing Syrian refugees with their house keys. Now imagine this, you leave everything, everything, but they took their keys. I mean, you have your keys right now. That would be normal, but they took their keys. They took their keys because they longed for home. And they hung on to those keys as their only hope. Those keys represented to them something more than a house or more than a place. They represented a longing for home. While we're thinking about refugees, you know, we're less than a year away from the 2020 Olympics. And maybe you remember, I mean, it's hard to believe 2016 was now almost four years ago. You remember Michael Phelps and the basketball team dominating. And, uh, but there was one story, a very unusual story that caught my attention. I don't know if it caught yours. But for the first time in Olympic history, there was this team of athletes competing who didn't have a country in common. What they had in common is that they didn't have a country. They didn't have a home. Here's the team, team refugee. Thomas Bach, the president of the International Olympic Committee, he, this is how he described them. He said, these refugees have no home, no team, no flag, no national anthem. We will offer them a home in the Olympic Village together with all the athletes of the world. The Olympic anthem will be played in their honor and the Olympic flag will lead them into the Olympic Stadium. Powerful. Those 10 athletes on Team Refugee were so happy to compete. But I'm, I'm pretty sure they would have given up the Olympics if they could have had a home. And there's something human about wanting to go home. Psychologists say it's the most powerful word in every language. We all yearn for this, this idea of home, a place where we're fully known, place where we're fully loved. Maybe you have memories of a time of a place where, where you felt like you were home. And we think, if only it could be like it was then. If only we could go back. But even if we could go back, it doesn't seem to be like what we remembered. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, our lifelong nostalgia to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. Friends, God hardwired you to want home. For you to want something more. The writer Ecclesiastes put it this way. He said that God put eternity in the hearts of people. Augustine, the great father, church father, he says, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The theologian Dorothy from Kansas said, There is no place <laughs> like home. Y'all know this, the Bible tells the story of people all over this book. It tells the story of people who are looking for home. 
searching for something more, and their search, it's interesting, if you, if you look with this frame, you'll, you'll see that this search that they have seems to always have them running in the wrong direction. So Adam and Eve, they go towards the fruit. David goes towards Bathsheba. Zacchaeus to his unfair and oppressive overtaxing. The woman at the well to her serial relationships. The rich young ruler to his money. The Pharisees to their rules and the sinners to their wild living. But what they all really want, what we really want, is so much more than what we have settled for. That's why Jesus came. Jesus gets to this deepest desire for home and perhaps the most famous of all the stories he told. And for the next 48 hours, we're going to dig deep into this parable that's captured the imagination of artists for generations. Charles Dickens said it was the best story ever told. Rembrandt and many others have painted this extraordinary story. Debussy brought it to life musically. But we can so easily get caught up in the beauty and the complexity of this this pearl of a parable that we forget that Jesus sat down and he told this story. And he told it to a story, he told this story at a specific time to a specific group of people. They were real. I mean, we know this, all of Jesus' parables were told to an audience. Sometimes Jesus talked to his disciples. Sometimes a random crowd that we don't know much about. But it's interesting, Luke makes sure that we know who is sitting around Jesus for the story of the two sons. Here's what it says. It says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling... And saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Who are the two groups of people that he's with? Test to be sure you're awake. Who we got? We got the Pharisees and we got the sinners, right? Right. On the one side over here, the orange and green pumpkin. Try not to kick it. (laughs) The Pharisees, who, who had their PhD in religiosity, they knew how to act. They knew or they thought they knew everything they were supposed to do to please God. But this vocational hazard was that all this study about God, all this effort to please God by following a bunch of rules, caused them to think that they could find what they really wanted themselves. Relying on themselves, would they even need God? It's interesting, Luke has them kind of standing apart from Jesus. There's space. They don't think they need Jesus. They were already good enough. Did they understand, though, that they were running away from a loving Father who loves them more than they know and for more than they can earn? 
but closer to Jesus were the sinners. I love that. Pharisees were far. (laughs) The sinners were close. And the Pharisees and the scribes just hated that. Eating with sinners would make Jesus unclean, just like the sinners. It was especially not okay for a teacher to be sitting with the sinners. And you notice they, they named not just sinners, but the IRS guys, the tax collectors. <laughs> Nobody likes tax collectors. Nobody. Tax collectors back then were especially nasty. I mean, they were paid to collect taxes on behalf of Rome, and they were all dishonest. And the more they collected, the more they got. They were not even allowed to testify in court. If you were a tax collector, you were, you just, they, you just, everybody knew you weren't going to be honest. Why would Jesus spend time with them? Jesus begins to tell this, this story to two sets of people who couldn't be more different, but also couldn't be more alike. See, no matter what they've done or what they haven't done, the invitation is the same. Come home. Come home. Home is really more than they or you can imagine. It's, it's running into the hands of a father who loves you more than you, you can imagine. This, this parable of the two sons is often called the gospel within the gospel because it, it cuts to the very core of God's story. Just a few chapters later, Jesus will actually say what his mission is. Here it is. Say it with me. You got that back there? There we go. Is it there? Yeah, there we go. Say it with me. I have come to seek and save the lost. Let's say it again. This is really important. I have come to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came. His seeking and his saving, his inviting people to come home isn't just for religious people. It isn't just for rebellious people. It's for everybody. God's love can't be reserved for just any one person or any one kind of person. It's for everybody. It's for the religious and it's for the reprobate. But before he gets to the the story of the brothers, he, he tells two other stories. This context is really important. There was a shepherd who, who cared for sheep. A hundred of them. One ran away. And what does the shepherd do? He say, oh well, it's a rounding error. No. He leaves the 99. I mean, this doesn't make any sense, right? Why would you do that? He leaves the 99 and he goes to find the one. And there was this woman, and she had ten coins. One got away. I don't like it that she has to clean up to find it. That's not my favorite part of the story, but she does. 
I hate sweeping. But she searched and she searched for that valued coin until she found it. You see what Jesus is doing here? He, he's literally warming the crowd up. All three stories are really one and the same. They all go together. See, Jesus is there with them on the Father's mission to seek and save the lost. God so loved the world that he searches and he searches more than a shepherd searches for a sheep, more than a woman searches for a coin. Jesus wants the sinner and the self-righteous saint to hear the same thing, to know that he is there with them as a part of this search and rescue mission. See, God wants you back. He wants you to come home. Hear this. God wants you home, and there are no exceptions. No matter who you are, no matter what your life story is, God wants you home. He wants you to have that thing that you really long for. Now, we don't know each other very well. You know, I kick pumpkins and, you know, I have a southern accent. But here's another thing, and, and, and you can't judge because you don't know me that well. But, uh, so don't judge me for this, but um, I am totally not a pet person. I mean, I don't like pets. I don't have time for them. I have sheep. I don't need dogs. I mean, I, you know, I have, I have many sheep. Come on. It's a preacher joke. You know, come on. Lots of sheep. Right. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you, I cried when I read Old Yeller, but, uh, but I just don't do pets. My kids over the years tried to talk Mark and I into a dog, uh, but we've constantly stayed the worst parents in the world and said no. I mean, we had one little slight error when we had a bad experience with a gecko. Uh, so, so after that, pets were an absolute no. But, you know, parents are, you know, uh, kids keep after you. And so, you know, we gave in just a little bit and we decided that fish might be okay. John wanted a fish tank, and it started with this fish that he brought home from a science class. He was supposed to keep it for the weekend, and we were praying, please don't let us kill this fish, you know? We just knew we would, but we didn't, and so we got this, we should never, we should have gone ahead and let it die, because then we ended up being the permanent keeper of that fish over the weekends, and then John actually wanted more fish. Now, fish are interesting. Uh, they can have their challenges. We had to learn how much water and, and how, what was the right pH and how much food you should put. You know, the kids want to put food all the time, and that doesn't work. Well, after a while, I thought we were pretty good at fish. I mean, especially for a non-pet family. We were pretty good with fish. And so we decided to take this risk on a semi... It's stored, it said semi-aggressive fish. Now, he, he really didn't look that fierce at Petco. I mean, this is what the fish looked like. I mean, I want you to see this. I mean, that's it. I mean, does that look that mean? No, okay, right. No, it does not look mean. Come on, it's not look mean. Now, now it was called, I mean, maybe it looks too big because it's, it's up there. You know, imagine if it, I mean, okay. I mean, y'all, it was this big. I mean, come on. I mean, okay. But it, 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 it was called a, um, what was it called? A red-tailed shark fish. 
for a while, everything went great. And then, like, it was so weird. Fish started disappearing. <laughs> I mean, one night, two fish disappeared together. I mean, we couldn't figure out what happened. I mean, so we started watching uh, the fish more often, and the shark fish would keep chasing the other fish and kind of nip at them. The other fish would be on one side of the tank, a long way away from the shark fish. But then the shark fish would make this, this kind of run at past, and it would start nipping at them. It didn't seem like it was that big of a problem, but eventually, apparently, it killed all but three of the fish in the tank. That's a funny story. <laughs> but here's what's not funny. Some people think that's the way God is. They think if you're far away from God, you want to stay that way. Your life's a mess, you've made mistakes, and you kind of want to keep your distance. Because you're afraid if God got too close, he might zap you. See, God's mad, and you'd make a great target. But Jesus is telling you that's not the story. That's not who he came to tell the world about. See, the Father loves. He invites. And he longs for you to come home. I love this phrase. I don't know who came up with it, but it says that, so, I've heard it many times, but it says that uh, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Now hear that. It's a little mind-blowing. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. He just loves. And that loving God has done everything everything to get you home. You know, maybe it's because it sounds a little too good to be true, or maybe it's not easy to grasp because human love can be so disappointing. Our parents divorce. Our friends betray. Our children break our hearts. I mean, love fails us. Love can devastate us. But God wants us to know that his love is not like that. The love of the Father isn't fickle, it isn't unsure, it isn't conditional. See, from the very beginning of creation, God has done everything he can to keep showing you, to keep showing me to show everyone that he loves us, he wants us home. When people broke the Ten Commandments, God still loved. When people worshipped other gods, God still loved. When people disappoint God, God still loves. When you blow it, God still loves. However you choose to run away from him, God still loves. 
you know, I love the, the phases of being a, a parent. And, you know, now with a 19 and a 20 and a 21 year old, uh, we have a very different role than we did years ago. But I'll never forget the first time we went to the beach and the kids were old enough that we didn't have to watch them like a Hawkeye. You remember this when this happened? Some of you, some of you aren't there yet. It's coming, I promise. It was the greatest thing because the kids were old enough to go up to the pool and be by themselves. And Mark and I could sit on the beach and read books. It was the best vacation ever. Something happened that first day I'll never forget. I was so excited about getting to read a, be- uh, getting to read a book. It was so relaxing. Finally, what I thought vacations were supposed to be. But then something started happening on the beach. There was some commotion uh, there just to the right of us, and it, it looked like it was a mom, and, and looked like it was her son, and they kept pointing out, way out into the water. Well, I wasn't reading anymore, so I was looking, what is going on out there? And it looked like it was the father, and he finally got to the point where you really couldn't see him anymore, and the beach was getting a little bit gray and cloudy and stormy, and it was a scary moment. He couldn't get back in. Well, we live close to the beach. Y'all know what happens when that happens. Does everybody just kind of sit and hope he gets back? It's not what happens. All the people in those with the little red things and with the boats went out and got him. They went seeking him. They went to save him. Friends, that's what God the Father does. See, because he loves us, he goes after us. And he does for you what you could never do for yourself. That's the heart of the gospel. And we're going to talk about it all weekend. You know, if you think you need to try harder to earn God's love... Or if you think God could never love you, both ways, you've missed it. The good news of the gospel is that that God loves. And he's done everything for you to freely then receive it. He loves you so much that he wants you to come home. He wants you to put your life in his hands and to put him in charge of your life. You know, God's love isn't based on his feelings or, or even on our actions. God's love is based on his character. God's very heartbeat is a relationship with you and with me. God made you to be connected to him. He, he loves. And it isn't a smushy, gussy, wussy kind of love. No, that's not it. God's love is a love that won't be satisfied for us to be less than who he dreams us to be. God's love is a love that won't let us self-destruct and keep going the wrong way. God's love moves us and changes us and shapes us. God came after you. He, he, He loved you all the way to the cross so that you would come home to him. And part of his love is that he'll keep waiting on you. We're going to see this in the story. God will wait for you to come home. 
You know, maybe you came this weekend and, and, and you've been flirting with the idea of, of God's love your whole life. I mean, you've heard people talk about it. You've heard people preach about it. I mean, you could even describe it. But if you were honest, you would say that you really haven't experienced it. If that's true for you, God's still loving you and he's still waiting for you. You know, one of my favorite things in the world is chocolate. I love chocolate. <laughs> Women's retreat, we should eat chocolate, right? Yeah. Uh, it was brought, of course, to Europe by the Spaniards who learned about it from the Aztecs. It was introduced into England about 1657 and first manufactured in the United States in 1765. And today, this is hilarious to me. On average, each one of us Americans consume approximately 12 pounds of chocolate per year. <laughs> We're very happy. That's right. Good stuff. All right. Now, uh, another share moment. Um, your favorite chocolate. You can do this very fast. Go the other what direction. Switch directions. Share your favorite chocolate. Go. <laughs> What's yours? Oh, yes. Five, four, three, two, one, and a wrap. I think you like chocolate. You know, making chocolate is actually very complicated. After several years, a farmer can finally harvest the pods from the caco trees, and those beans inside the pods are, are really the treasure. Those beans are cured then for three to nine days, turning those seeds brown. And then they begin to ferment, and the seeds begin to get that chocolate flavor. Here are some chocolate beans, what they look like. Those beans are dried and clean and roasted to finally bring out the chocolate flavor. And then they are shelled in a crushing machine and, and finally ground into that cocoa powder. Really good chocolate has at least 70% of those caco beans. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think a person who had never tasted chocolate would really understand chocolate by knowing all those facts about how chocolate is made? Do you think they would love chocolate? Do you think, but now, but... If I handed them a really good piece of Godiva chocolate, what do you think their experience would be? They'd love it. There's an incredible difference between talking about chocolate and actually tasting chocolate. Now, a few years ago, there was this young dad, and he, he, he began to share his heart with me, and he said, you know, I really, really want to believe God is real. I really want to believe his love is real, but I'm just not there. I want it. I can tell you about it, 
but I just haven't experienced it. I gave him some books and, and we prayed together, but, but I knew God was just on the edge. God was at work in his life and it was only a matter of time before he knew it was real. But those books weren't going to help him. Months later, he came back to me and he told me he finally got it. And he could tell me the moment where he experienced God's love for the very first time. There's a big difference between knowing the facts and experiencing a relationship with God and his love for you. You know, God has done everything so that you, each one of you, would experience his love in your life. We're going to see as we look at this story, he'll wait. He won't compel. I mean, he'll search while you keep running. But if you're running away from God, doing all kinds of things to numb you, acting out in every way, you may be running from God that way. Or you may be running away from God by just trying to do better and be better. Jesus will run to you, but he's going to wait until you're ready. Until you're ready to turn to him. You know, God's not impressed with your accomplishments. And he's really not scared off by your failures. He just loves and he would do anything, and he already has done everything to help you come home to the Father. The invitation goes out to the Pharisees, and it goes out to the tax collectors, and it goes out to you. Come home. I want us to spend a few minutes. We're going to be living with this parable all, all weekend. And so I want, our musicians are going to come on up, and, and I want you to spend a few minutes thinking about a couple questions. We're going to put them up on the screen for you. Here, are, here they are. Have I ever experienced the love of God? You know, some people miss the faith by about 12 inches. My prayer is that, that you get it, that you experience it. Here's the next question. Am I more like the younger brother? Or the older brother. We're going to be talking a lot about that in the next two next tomorrow. And the last one: Am I listening to my deepest longings? God's put in you the deep longing to be connected to Him. Are you listening? I want you to take a few minutes and just sit very quietly to yourself while they're going to play. Just some music for you to reflect. Close your eyes. And think about those questions. And I'm going to come up and pray in just a few minutes. But I want to give us a few minutes of quiet space. God, it's all part of your plan. That you, by your, your mercy and your, your love for us, you, you put in us this yearning to want to come home. So as we open up this, this parable over the next couple of sessions, God, would you help us to see ourselves in it? Whether we're like the younger brother and have run far from you or like the older brother trying to earn your love, we're all the same. We need to come home. We need you. God, 
forgive us when we settle for so much less. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for this incredible invitation that you've made possible. This invitation to come home. Amen. Thank you.